everyone out there thinking about starting a podcast, let me tell you this. When we switched to remote podcasting six years ago, it was a headache. Multiple pieces of software, inconsistent sound quality, and honestly, nearly impossible to bring in guests, let alone record videos. Then we discovered Zencaster. Zencaster gives us studio quality recording, including video up to 4K, and distribution to podcast players that support it. We've consolidated our podcasting efforts, doing everything from recording to publishing in a single platform. And now having guests on has become a breeze. Zencaster is about making the podcasting experience as easy as possible, including local recording, automatic post-production, which we love, and no outside software needed to record, publish, and episode. I honestly cannot imagine recording remotely without Zencaster. So if you're interested, go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use our code BGA you'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. We want you to have the same easy experience we do for all our podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 398, Listeners Top 20. We'd like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. All right, friends, we're back. And we are back with the best because the best is your best this week. Our Listeners Top 20. Yeah, yeah, we love doing this. Every year, we put a poll out there, everybody responds, and we get dozens and dozens, hundreds and hundreds of top 10 lists from everyone uh, mm-hmm. on the Facebook page, listeners <laughs> from everywhere, right? And then I get to dive deep into the data and like compile it with my rudimentary Excel spreadsheet skills uh, <laughs> to build a top 20 list. And as Fun as that sounds, it actually is very fun. I love playing with that list. I'll put on a good podcast and just poke around with the data until I get our top 20. So thank you to everybody who submitted to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, We do have a contest winner that we'll announce later in the episode. uh, One of our submitters. And yeah, should be a lot of fun. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you all for, you know, entering and letting us know your top 10 list. Obviously, it's one of those things that, you know, I think brings about the best conversations at the game table letting people know what games you like to get, what games have stuck around consistently throughout, and, you know, what is the mechanics and themes that just makes up your list. And sometimes you really don't think about it until you're forced to do so with the list that we ask you to do. But, hey, if we have to do a top 100, you got to do a top 10. So thank you all for hitting us up. If you did not get a chance to hit us up, you could still hit us up and let us know your list regardless all of our social media channels, I mean, seriously, go out there, see if there's a social media channel or a podcast player out there that we're not on, then let us know. But 
nonetheless, hit us up. Let us know. BoardGamersAnonymous.com is our website. We would love to hear from you, even if it's just generally straight up by email. It would just be great. All right, everyone. So we're looking forward to your top 10s, which becomes the top 20 for our feature review. Uh, Before we get into all of that, we have a couple of things of our own. Anthony, what's our acquisition disorders for this week? Yeah, acquisition disorders. We're we're gonna head on over to Kickstarter. Do that thing we do. Um, <laughs> the thing the thing we swear we'll never do, and we do it anyway. <laughs> like, I've, I've had people like friends of mine who listen to the podcast, and they're like, "Do you like Kickstarter or not?" And I was like, mm. <laughs> "Fantastic question. Good question." See, I that's feel- that's that's a sign of a of a true journalist. You don't know where they stand. <laughs> on a topic or a party you're just like just super neutral you can't know up down left right yeah i think it's the opposite though i think it's like we're super positive and also super negative so we're a hundred percent (laughs) committed insanity i'm not sure we're we're somewhere committed yeah like every other episode we're like kickstarter is the end of all board gaming anyways i backed these four games (laughs) (laughs) well enjoy the ride while you have it that's all i can say gotta do it yeah, I, right, so, speaking. Well, before you even get to that, speaking of which, like last week, I was talking about Unconscious Mind, which was going to come out right. on Kickstarter this past week on Tuesday, and then I was excited about it, and then it popped up, and I was like, I ran over there, and I just it loaded up, and I was like, oh, this is fantastic! Oh dear God, the price! Oh no, <laughs> I can't look at the price. And then it's like, hey, this is a great game. I'm like, totally agree with that. And they're like, hey, here's all this extra stuff so we can justify the extraordinary prices that we're charging you. And I'm like, yeah, all right, all right. So I I, I did back it. So Unconscious Mind is out there on Kickstarter. If you have not seen it, at least check it out. It is incredibly cool. And it has a lot of other things for reasons. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know things. why. I mean, you could slap that on any Kickstarter campaign. It's true. It has a lot of other stuff for reasons. It it does. And that's I think that's the, the hallmark of Kickstarter. Or at least it's become the hallmark of Kickstarter. It's like yeah. when you get a game to the table and it has some like insane level of like first first player marker or like the coins you would mistaken mistake as actual real coins, then you're like, oh, this is a Kickstarter. <laughs> Just like <laughs> If it doesn't have that kind of obscene element to the board game, then you don't know it was from Kickstarter. So, yeah. Right. So this will have some obscene elements to it. So you should definitely check out, including a soundtrack for some reason, which honestly, and I remember this like Flying Frog games, like way back in the day, I played a couple of tracks, but it just doesn't work for me. But sure, go for it. Go for it, people. Absolutely. Got to do it. Absolutely. All right. So unconsciously yes anthony i'm, I'm still back to kickstarters clearly. <laughs> so what do you have up first this week all right uh so ironically and i love irony there you go. Uh, i i've chosen a game from kickstarter that doesn't do all those things we just said are bad um flat out games who the company has designed calico uh cascadia one of my favorite games verdant which you just reviewed uh last week they have a new one up called fit to print and the cool thing about flat out games is that they'll have, you know, a relatively modest box size, a good amount of gameplay in there at a medium to lightweight, and it'll be like $30. Completely reasonable. I've never looked at one of their games and thought it was too expensive. So this new one, Fit to Print, is designed by Peter McPherson, who is the designer of Tiny Towns, uh, which is one of my favorite puzzle games 
of all time. Like I think it's third after Cascadia. Um, and this new game is about making a newspaper. So it has some interesting elements and I don't know how they're going to work, but I'm probably still going to back it because of the publisher and the box size. It's got artwork by Ian O'Toole. So if you ever want to see Ian O'Toole illustrate animals in suits, fit to print is animals in suits by Ian O'Toole. Uh, but this is a tile laying game for one to six people it takes less than 30 minutes, which is perfect in which you're going to have a whole bunch of different newspaper tiles available. Uh, 130, they say in the box and you're going to draft them. Now here's the thing. Cause I know how we feel about galaxy trucker. It's a real time draft. So you're going to like snag and grab these different tiles and put them together until everybody has what they need, their little pile of stuff. And then you're going to try to build out your, tableau again there's a real-time element to this so that it's not galaxy trucker there are a lot of things that are different about this game but that component is very similar which you're kind of racing to do things and there's a benefit for being done first um but the puzzle component the tile laying element of it the the tableau that you're building seems very unique and different um there's breaking new scoring cards you're trying to meet these different objectives there's character cards that let you kind of mix up and change the challenge each time so they're claiming there's like a thousand different ways you can set up the game, which I'm sure is unlikely to make that big of a difference across the board. But it looks to be highly variable for a $30 game. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of real-time games in the world, but they do mention there are variants that you can play that are not real-time. So I'll probably back this because Flat Out Games has been on a real roll uh, in the last few games they've released. I really like Calico. I really like Cascadia. Um, this seems to have even more variability out of the box. I love Tiny Towns, same designer. I love Ian O'Toole's artwork, and this looks really unique and different for him. So, yeah, that's uh, fit to print, and it's very much on my list. It's got 26 days left. It goes until December 10th, so you got tons of time, and I'll probably back it. I haven't yet, but I probably will. <laughs> yeah, this is an interesting concept. The the real real time in-game time games I, there are few and far between and this is an interesting theme that i haven't i haven't even i'm trying to think if i've ever seen a game i think there's a couple of newspaper games out there but obviously as far as layouts concerned it, it matches really well with the tile placement not sure about the animal so much but again as you said Ian tool right if you can get him to draw an animal do it yeah yeah <laughs> All right, so something in, something in a similar vein is hopefully, and I mean this in a nice way, hopefully the final expansion for Canvas. This is Canvas Finishing Touches. It's currently on Kickstarter, and it will wrap up on November 16, 2002. This is the award-winning painting game that gets a reprint, again, because primarily it seems like, I guess, wink, wink, nod, nod, the reason why they keep bringing out all these expansions, not just for Canvas, but for a lot of games is because they want to sell the base game again. But according to Kickstarter rules, you just can't sell something you've already sold. You have to add something. So this allows them to add something here. So I've talked about Canvas. I like it. It's a good family weight game. It's primarily all about these different pieces of artwork that are in these transparent plastic cards that slide into a sleeve. You put three of them together and then you have a interesting kind of portrait of different elements and on the bottom of the cards there are different symbols 
And based upon the symbols and what's in the painting, you get points for that. And it's a it's a good game to look at. It's not really a gamer game. You can game it. Like, again, it does have game elements as far as getting the symbols together. But it's primarily more of a game experience. This is something for, you know, family, for kids, because they can slot the cards together. There's no harm. There's no foul. They may not score points. But even Canvas itself gives you the opportunity to just be able to have fun with the game and then, like, give out awards for, like, best painting or something like that. So, finally, this final chapter of it, expansion, comes out in a third box. And, again, what's also interesting about Canvas is you can actually hang these boxes on the wall. And it has really nice artwork on there. So, this expansion comes, first off, with frames. Now, there was easels in the first expansion as kind of like a super deluxe add-on kind of situation. I know other people have already purchased these separately through Etsy's and other rings. They kind of jumped ahead, and now there's four frames that you'll be able to display your artwork. So you can just, as far as the bonuses are concerned, who's in the lead of the bonuses, that person would put their painting into those different frames. Frames are nice, really interesting kind of concept. It fits along with the kind of canvas situation where once your paintings are done, how well they'll score. It's nice for them to actually be, you know, standing up so that everyone can get a chance to see them. In addition to that, there's new ribbons. There's ribbons in the game that score points based upon certain things that you're able to do. Obviously, these are here for the new bonuses. There are painter cards. Again, this is another genius idea that they should have probably had maybe in the first expansion. These painter cards are all these famous painters that provide like an asymmetrical power for each of the players. And it's beautiful artwork of the painters themselves, I guess, typically self-portraits. So that's kind of fun. It adds a little something to the game. And then there's some new artwork cards. There's some new scoring cards. And there's new pieces for a board expansion that you could play with the game. Now, obviously, you could pick up all of this stuff all at once. Or you could just pick up the new expansion for about $35. I picked up the base game. It's fine. I picked up the expansion. It does add a little bit more. makes the game a little bit better. I might pick up this final expansion just to kind of like even it out. Again, I think this is good for kids, teenagers, family members who are not gamers. I think it's a nice little game. And again, if you're interested, it's on Kickstarter right now. Canvas, finishing touches. Awesome. All right, so that's everything for our acquisition disorders. Now let's get on to our at the table. So Anthony, what did we play this week? Ah, yes, we played things. <gasps> How'd that it. happen? I know. <laughs> well, you were you were so kind to come down to my place. I've mm-hmm. been mired in the in the depths of the middle of multiple courses in this semester but mm-hmm. uh you were able to come to my place we played three games and uh we got a chance to go over some stuff we've been meaning to play for a while absolutely so the first game on the list is sky mines Ooh, yeah this is one we've been looking forward to for a while like even mm-hmm. before it existed so <laughs> we talked about this before it existed yeah yeah we did uh so like mombasa is the original game right this came out in 2016 i want to say Mm-hmm. And it is or 2015. I'm sorry. It's from Alexander Pfister. And so mechanically, mm-hmm. I think we both agree this is one of his best games, right? Yes. Right. I think it's it's his best game. And again, having played it a couple of times until you kind of as a Euro gamer, you're like, I'm moving cubes. And then you just I guess like everybody else, 
then at some point you're like, wait a minute, I'm moving cubes away from a place that had cubes. Let me take a look at this a little more deeply. Oh, this is a problem. But before I knew that that was a problem, it was in those few early experiences, one of my favorite games. Mechanics are outstanding. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was like this holy grail of things. It was like, hey, this new game came out from Alexander Fister, and he's a good designer, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's great. The game's like $30 <laughs> somehow. Oh my God, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, like R&R just like went all in on this. Like, amazing, I'm buying a copy. And then you sit and you play it. And at the first or second play, somebody points out like, hey, are we just like <laughs> taking all the resources from Africa? <laughs> is that what we're doing? Is that what this game is? And you're like, oh, snap, that is what we're doing. Ooh, gross. <laughs> um, that's literally what the game is. It's... It's just the scramble for Africa. The game. It's the oligarchy, kids. You get to control companies and, and countries and take their stuff. Because, I don't know, cool? Yeah. I don't know, fun? I, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the core idea of this game, <laughs> and it's the same for both, yes. right, is you are an investor and you're investing in these different companies that are in this space trying to extract resources. So, in Mombasa, it was all the resources that Africa had available to it at the time right that's why it was problematic sky mines rethemes that and so in sky mines we get admittedly a bit of more abstract of a theme because now mm-hmm. we're on the moon um we're in space which is what we kept saying put it in space <laughs> nobody lives in space so you can't exploit people you're just exploiting a dead rock which is fine because no one lives there mm. um and so sky mines which Fister went back and revisited along with Victor Kobilke is the basic version of the game is almost exactly the same, right? You have a map of the moon, you have multiple locations. There are four different companies uh, located around the sides of the board. Both all the players have little markers on each of the tracks in which it, you move up and you get different shares in those companies. And then you place outposts on the moon by taking various actions And the more outposts that go out for one company, the more that the stocks for that company are worth. So nobody owns any of these companies, but you're effectively investing in them by moving up those tracks. Um, It's a very, very, very abstract, light stock investment economic game, right? Except you can't divest anything. So once you've bought Mm -hmm. a stock, you have it forever and you have to like try to get those outposts out. Um, The other two mechanics, again, that come over from Mombasa, we have... The research track, which is what Mombasa's book track was, where you can place out these different research tiles. And based on the cards that you play in front of you, you can then use a research scientist to move up on the track if you meet certain conditions. And then you have the helium three storage, which is the same as the diamond track from Mombasa, where you're effectively just moving up the track for points. That's all it does. Uh, Mechanically, you're placing out cards in front of you from a hand. You start with nine in your hand or seven, I'm sorry, you start with seven in your hand. You place out three to start. Later, you can place up to five if you unlock different slots. And then you take actions based on the cards that you place in front of you. The thing that was always interesting about this game, Mombasa and now Skymines, is that when you're done with those cards, you have to pick up one of the piles of discards in the past and take all the cards you just played and place them in the discard piles at the top of the board. And there's one for each lane that you have open. So you're effectively programming which cards you get back in future turns. Uh, so if you have a really good card that you like, you got to put it somewhere where you know you're going to take it back into your hand soon. Um, otherwise, it might stay up there and you don't get to play it again. The game is relatively quick, 
we played it in less than two hours, not having played Mombasa in several years and also like reimagining it in our head thematically. Um, and mechanically, it's very similar, right? The, the major changes for the basic, basic version of the game are that when you play your cards out, you get to choose which cards go into which columns. It, in the past with Mombasa, they had to go straight up. Now it's you get to choose where they go. Uh, and then there's they integrated the small expansion for the research track. There was a, a book expansion for Mombasa. They implemented that here, which makes the, the research track a little more interesting. Um, the balance is just as good as I remember. We were very, very close in score. We took very divergent paths to get there. And, you know, mechanically, it's a very tight, interesting, fun Euro game. Um, it You do lose a... I mean, I'm, I'm hesitant to say you lose anything, when you're going from Skymines to Mombasa or Mombasa to Skymines, because it's better <laughs> that we're not exploiting a, a real world place. Um, but it's a little more abstract when we're in space. They didn't really, I don't feel like they put a ton of thought into it. There's like, I don't know, carbon and titanium <laughs> and whatever, like <laughs> green, black, and blue. Those are That's right. Now. Um, so it does take a little bit more when it's a little more abstracted in that way to like, remember what things are and what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I liked it. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, I liked it too. I was really excited that Alexander Pfister decided to republish, reimagine Mombasa because, again, it, it was mechanically one of my favorite games of all time. There was just something about the game, especially the tracks, the, the tracks on the bottoms of the boards where you're you're doing a little bit of area control, but the area control gives you resources, but the tracks move up. And that's kind of fun because as the tracks move up, special abilities open up to you. And you're gaining shares. And then the card play is so dynamic, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. how you play the cards. And then there's later in the game, there's there's shares that come along with the cards. And then, you know, how you put the resources together to purchase other cards. So there's so many different elements to the game. But at no time do you feel overwhelmed by the game. And I think that's this is one of the very few games that I'm not troubled or I don't feel the clunkiness of like, and then there's tile placement and then there's area control. Like I don't feel like I'm shifting gears. I feel like everything really flows well into each other and I don't feel overwhelmed by any aspect of it. It did take a little while to kind of, you know, get into the thematic concept of it. I think the graphic design is the one thing that's holding me back a little bit. Mm. There's just some elements that are just, not as clear, not as sharp. The colors don't always line up on certain spots. That kind of takes me a second here and there. The cards are a little darker. It reminds me of, you know, Blackout Hong Kong, where they're just like all black and you have to try to make out what kind of particular element, you know, you're looking at there. And just some of the some of the symbology on the board is a little weak. I, I would have liked to seen it either a little more imagined as like either more of a futuristic kind of tech i mean it's it's just the artwork and the graphic design does not land as cleanly or as dynamically as i would want but beyond that the game is great i mean again um outside of a couple of like i said a couple of those areas there maybe the coins or things like that the cryptocurrency that they're they're trying to provide here but Otherwise, it's a great game. It it obviously plays better at the higher player counts because you want to have other people investing in the companies so that Mm -hmm. it's a little more dynamic. Like, 
you know, oh, I think they're going to push this up. I should buy stock in this instead of just playing different aspects of it. And again, the book track is still there. The diamond track is still there. So you have all of the elements you had previously. And then there are some additional elements that you can play the game moving forward as far as the campaign is concerned. So I don't own this yet. I will be picking it up. And, you know, now that I got, you know, got that first play and looking forward to playing it more in the future. Yeah, I think everything you said is right. Um, it's you want it to be prettier, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it was almost like, we know this game is good. We know people are going to buy it because it's Fister. Let's just get something together. We'll get it out there. Yeah. And the result is fine. It's not bad. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just, it's fine. It, it could it's, be better. It's fine. It's just a little, it's it's just, just like I said, the graphic design and the artwork and the tokens themselves. It's just... And it's not, it's not even a, a matter of just like a, like an, a certain aesthetic preference. It's a matter of like, it it throws you a little bit. It's not, mm. it's not as intuitive as the mechanics are. Right. Like we, I think we mentioned some of the colors are like, this color should be with this spot and it's not. Or, you know, we, we looked at the tokens when we were putting the game out on the table and we're like, what does this go? What, what do we do mm. with this? It's just like, that should be a little more obvious for us. So again, not the end of the world. Um, you know, and glad to have it. So for me, this game's a buy. I will be purchasing it in the future. And uh, again, it's a table. How about you? Yeah, it's a buy for me too. Um, mm-hmm. I already bought it, so I'm happy I did. <laughs> um, uh, and, and the other thing about it we haven't mentioned yet, because we played, again, we played the basic, mm-hmm. basic Mombasa in space version, right? <laughs> um, but there's more to the game, right? There's you flip the board over and there's a completely different map with a mm. bunch of different mechanics mixed in. Um, we've got all these different things they've thrown in. There's shuttles, there's threats, there's uh, there's a four game campaign mode because it's Fister and that's what he does now. <laughs> um, there's a solo mode with like a whole separate rule book, which you can use also just to simulate a player with two or mm. three players. If you want more competition, like we mentioned, that's a problem. Um, so I'm looking forward to going through all of that. And, sure. you know, I've never been like completely blown away by Fister's solo modes or all of his campaign stuff, but I've never disliked it either. It adds stuff. And I usually go through it because I enjoy his games. So that's all great stuff as well. It just it's more value mm-hmm. if you already like this mechanic, um, you know, unless you don't like solo modes. and You don't like his campaigns, in which case, you know, <laughs> I can't help you there. Yeah, I mean, I'd be I'd be interested in going through the campaign because unlike like Maracaibo, which that game just seems to go on forever mm-hmm. or kind of can go on forever, you know, S- S- Sky Mines, the mechanics here are pretty straightforward and intuitive. So I don't imagine that happening where you're just like clustering cards for like multiple rounds. Right. So, yeah. All right. Well, that's Sky Mines. All right. Uh, so the next game we played is Astra. This is the Mind Clash games. Uh, and I think they it's, what do they call it? Mind Clash Plays is their lighter game division. Uh, so they released this directly. You just pre-ordered it on their website and they shipped it to you. My copy showed up two, three weeks ago. And it is a game in which you are discovering constellations. And... Uh, you do this by drawing on various cards. So you have a giant deck of cards representing all these different constellations and they each have special abilities on them and they each have a certain number of stars on them. And you have each individual person has these little stardust tokens. 
And so on your turn, you can choose to observe, which is to mark off different stars on these cards in the middle of the table, or you can rest and replenish your Stardust tokens. Um, if you complete a card, like you're the last one to mark all the stars on that card, you get it. But everybody who contributed to that card gets one of the bonuses listed at the bottom of the card. And so the bonuses can be like upgrades to your Stardust refills. It could be upgrades to how many cards you can hold. It could just be points. It could be more Stardust to use. Um, there's telescope tokens that let you take basically a second action on your turn. And so the game is really like you're managing where do I go and put a couple stars down to make sure I get a bonus? And where do I try to claim a card? Because claiming the cards, you get special powers from those cards and you also get points. Um, the game was relatively quick um, and it's relatively light too. Like we played this with my son uh, who he's 11 and he, he took to it really quickly. He actually won the game. So uh, he, he wiped the floor with us. Uh, but he, we watched a video together of the rules. It's like 10, 15 minutes long. And he was like reminding us of rules throughout the game. So it's not a very complicated game. It's fairly quick. It really comes down to, do you like drawing on all of your game components? And are you looking for a relatively light, accessible, decently visually attractive game? Um, and this kind of falls into that bucket. Yeah, I think the game itself is... is an, first off, it's a very interesting concept. I'm a big space sky kind of person the constellations or borealis like i'm a hundred percent into that so when i saw this game come out i was like immediately in intrigued in the theme and then i saw the dry erase markers and i was like oh no <laughs> I, I, no no i don't i don't want to do that at all but the dry erase markers here aren't really and they're not problematic i don't know like i don't no, even know how to yeah, say yeah. like it's because not a roll and write. It's not it's a roll not and write. It's not a roll and write. Yeah. And it's it's not I mean, I I guess again when you see the dry race markers, the, the nightmare scenario kind of pops in my head of like Railroad Inc., which yeah. is a good game. It's just when you have to use those markers to kind of map out the tracks and everything else, it's just like a it's like a nightmarish situation where like a five year old just like who's drunk. <laughs> and I and just like hadn't slept for like six days, and you look at the you look at your you look down at your uh, pad, and you're like, who did this? <laughs> what crazed insanity would would allow this to be created? The game itself is interesting, and again, the lightness of this isn't too problematic because again, you really are playing against the people at the table, and this reminded me of like a, the childhood game called Boxes, where mm. you had a grid of dots. And it's a, typically a two-player game. And basically what you're doing is you're drawing one line. And then you have to be very, you know, tactical about it. Because as you're drawing lines, you're opening up our opportunities for the other player to close the box in. So as this game goes on, you have Stardust. You're an opportunity to mark off the different stars. Because different stars will give you opportunities to open up slots for you to gain constellations that will give you special abilities. So that is essential and that is entices you to do so. And yet at the same time, you're giving someone else the opportunity to get in there, either complete the constellation for that for that card or just to build up their own points on there so that they get the special boon. And that's actually kind of an interesting slash funny slash I'm sure well-tested kind of mechanic because 
completing the constellation gives you the card and the card itself only really gives you i think it's only like one maybe two points per card so there's not a real accomplishment behind getting the card with the exception if it gives you a special ability Mm -hmm. and when you use a special ability then it gets tapped and then you have to find either a way through another boon special ability on a card or during the refresh phase to to you know refresh those cards and make them you know able to play everyone else who played in that card has the opportunity to get really significant bonuses i mean five points from a card is significant in this game and again there's also stardust there's also refreshing cards there's all the different aspects on that so primarily you play into the different constellations until you get to a point where you're like i'm just going to get the special ability or we're at a point where we just hit a loghead and we and someone needs to claim it uh, the special bonus card, as far as like how you get certain numbers in either columns or rows, is kind of interesting. It leads you to build a little more of a strategy there. I think the only thing that I would like to have seen in this is, again, some sort of, I guess, initiative as as like almost like like a starting, uh, I don't know, a starting astronomer, you mm. know, with a special ability. Or, you know, it scores a certain number of points off a certain number of constellations or something like that. I would just like a little more as far as the game is concerned. But the game itself is really good. I actually actually like the game. I think it's a good game. It's something that, uh, for me, it's a light buy. I don't know what the price point is. I know you picked this up, Anthony. But it's something that, you know, with a good price point, I think I'll pick this up at some point. I want to say it was only $30. That's not bad. Yeah, like considering... All the cards are that mm-hmm. material, the sure. dry erase material, mm-hmm. and the pens were fine. Like, pens were fine. Pens and and again, pens, so they were fine. Yeah, and the pens don't have to do much of anything other than just ink a little spot. It doesn't have to draw numbers or tracks or anything like that. So it's not, it's not like a Twilight Imperium game, Anthony, that we know and love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good times. Yeah. So yeah, I would say this is. Around the $30 price point, I probably could see that. I mean, considering it's this day and age where everything is, <laughs> where it just dropped over $100 on Conscious Mind. Yeah, <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think it could uh, swing $30 on this game. Yeah, I think the artwork here is very good. I think the family level gameplay here is very good. But I think you could also play this with gamers too. It, it would just, it might bog down a little bit as far as like how many dots could they get versus how many dots could I get. I mean, really, the the game itself is fairly quick beyond, like, reading the different cards as they come out. Right. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's a play, for sure. I'm going to keep it, absolutely. Like, I enjoy it. I think it's pretty. My kids like it. My daughter really wants to play it because she came home while we were playing and was upset that she was (laughs) not part of the game. So, uh, it's, but it's pretty, right? You just see all the different constellations. And especially if you have a family, then they ask you, like, is this real? And you're like, these are all real. And then they want to learn more about the stars, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just like, an, like a, a gateway game for uh, astronomy. Yeah. And I don't think we I don't think we have many of those out there. So I think no. it fits into a nice niche. And again, like the production is very good. I don't see anything bad about that. The player boards are a little big, unnecessarily big. But otherwise, I think it's I think it's top notch. So, yep. All right. Uh, so the third game we played, also with my son, because he was he was all about it <laughs> over the weekend, 
Um, we played Star Wars The Clone Wars, and this is the new uh, release from Z-Man Games using the Pandemic system, uh, designed by Alexander Ortloff, and it is absolutely based on the Pandemic system, Like, and we'll get to how, but it's also kind of re-implementing the Wrath of the Lich King World of Warcraft version that came out last year. Um, it's a cooperative game in which you play one of several uh, Jedi generals from the Clone Wars, um, specifically like the characters that are in the Clone Wars television series. And you're facing off against the battle droids trying to take over all these planets that are more or less randomly placed on the board because the Star Wars map is always random anyways. But what little I know of the Star Wars map, this is not it. So it's just, it's pretty random. I don't know why they did it this way. Um, And then there's a villain of some kind. And so it's all the villains that you would know from the Clone Wars, Asajj Ventress, Darth Maul, Count Dooku, uh, Grievous. And the goal is to complete a certain number of missions. Uh, So mechanically, the game follows a lot of the same stuff that you get in Pandemic, right? On your turn, you have four actions. You can move, you can draw cards, um, you can fight, quote unquote, which is how you remove battle droids and other figures from the board. Um, when the battle droids come out, the same way that they would in Pandemic, you draw from the invasion deck, you place them on the planet that's listed. If there's already three battle droids there, there's no outbreaks, but you place out um, a blockade and then the threat level goes up. So the main difference here. There's like two main differences, but the first main difference with Pandemic is that there's only one way to lose. They've funneled all the loss conditions into one track, which I think is good, especially for people who are not familiar with Pandemic, because in that game, you have to keep track of all the different ways you can lose. Like, oh, the deck is empty. We lost. Oh, you ran out of cubes. We lost. Oh, we hit the end of that track. We lost. Like there's different ways that things can go wrong and people miss them sometimes. Um, In this one, if you get to the end of the threat track, you lose. And there's just a bunch of stuff that pushes the threat track forward. Um, The other thing that's different is that there's a die. So when you go to do combat, you will roll a die and it will have a certain number of hits that you get against the battle droids and then a certain number of hits that you have to take. And then you have a tableau of cards in front of you uh, that will allow you to increase the hits you deal, block some, um, some other special abilities. Mostly it's hit and block, right? Uh, And... This is interesting for a couple of reasons. One, it makes it less deterministic than like Pandemic, where you just go and you remove cubes based on your ability. It's one by normal. If you have special abilities, it's more than that. Like you could roll lucky and remove all three off of one action, which is cool. It's also harder to plan for. So depends what kind of gamer you are. Um, The other part is you just have this tableau of cards, which you need because they are your health effectively. Like you lose cards as you take hits, but also you need these because to complete the missions, you need to have the certain symbols that are on the cards in addition to the die roll. And so you're going to go around the map to complete the missions and you need to have a bunch of cards, usually meaning you need other people to come join you uh, and also balance out the battle droids as they go away. Um, The villain deck. I mean, we played on the basic villain. It wasn't super interesting. Uh, She basically just, tried to get to the mission constantly. And if she got there, then the threat went up. But looking through the other mission decks or the other villain decks, they're a little more complex. Um, Count Dooku is fairly complex. Other things going on. It's harder. Um, We did not win (laughs) on this initial play. Um, We made a few bad decisions early, but 
it's interesting. Like if you like pandemic and you like star Wars, I think it's a good combination, but I think if you don't like pandemic, I don't know that this does enough different that you'd be like, yeah, it's great. Even though I don't like this core formula. And so I will now kick it to you because I know you do not like pandemic. Well, I like, I like the pandemic mechanic in certain circumstances. There are, there are games that utilize it better. I mean, obviously one of my favorite games of all time is defenders of the realm, which uses the pandemic mechanic. And this game does use more of the defenders of the realm situation because you do have that big baddie that you have to fight beyond just having, I guess, either the pandemic, that specific disease, or in this case, the battle droids. So it does play a little bit more like defenders of the realm and you do roll dice to attack, which again is defenders of the realm. So I think there are elements here that I liked I think the one thing that kind of threw me just a little bit here was the idea that it was a little too simple and it was a little too forgiving yeah. as far as like, you lost all your cards, like, or you took all the damage. You're like, mm, all right, <laughs> you know, or even the missions themselves, which again, when you play Defenders of the Realm and you want to take on the dragon, for example, it does take some time to get those cards together because based on the number of cards, you get to roll a certain number of dice. And then the baddie itself has a certain kind of like hit point situation. Like it only hits at a five or six. Mm-hmm. So you do have to kind of gear up for that. This was more along the lines of like, did you get a lucky draw? Did you get enough cards? Can you all get to the one spot? And you get to that one spot and you just roll the die and then you add the cards as you need or can. And that was pretty much it. So I, I think, as as you said, Anthony, I think this is something a little bit more for, you know, the big box stores, for the casual fans, for, you know, kids coming into, you know, either Pandemic or they're big fans of the Star Wars universe and they want to play a game where if, you know, you don't want to think ahead. I think we thought a little bit ahead as far as that's concerned. I think it's fine. I think the the miniatures I thought were very good. The board was laid out pretty nice. The little battle droids were great. The die, custom die, is always nice to see. The card artwork was good. There's a couple special cards in there. The traditional pandemic characters, as far as you can move somebody or you could take something out, those are there. And again, you do have all the different baddies in this game, which you could utilize in different ways for their different scenarios. But again, it's pandemic and sometimes you just lose because it's pandemic. It's just the luck of the cards. Right. There's nothing you can do. And that certainly could be frustrating, especially for younger people who have not played these co-op games or not played pandemic, where if you played a pandemic enough, or if you've listened to us enough, if you can envision it, like just the deck alone, kind of like solitaire could be set up in a certain way where you just lose. There's nothing to it. You just lose. Yeah. And then, I mean, yeah. The, sorry to interrupt, but no, sure. That's exactly what happened, right? Like, yeah. we, Asajj Ventress started right next to the mission. She jumped over there, and then we got two, three threat right away. Mm-hmm. And my son, who's eleven, got very upset. And we just kept sure. having to tell him, like, this is how the game is designed. It's okay, yeah. relax. And that's interesting too, because as we're introducing these tried and true, you know, I guess you would call them, you know, designer board game mechanics to the you know to a broader audience which we love that idea there is also that concept of playing a game where you just cannot win Mm -hmm. or when you do play co-op games you should not win every time like in fact 
you should only win. I don't know, Anthony. I, I don't know if there's ever been this kind of major discussion, maybe with some of the designers of this game. Maybe you should win 25% of the time. I mean, that seems like a good a good amount of times. What do you think? It's what I tell my students. Yeah, yeah. it's about 20. Like, because I bring in the co-op games, they get very upset because they lose all of them. And mm-hmm. I tell them, like, you're supposed to lose 75% of the time. Yeah. And then that's like that click moment in their eyes. They're like, oh, and then we got to get better. Okay, I get it. <laughs> yeah, because if the game's too easy, then it's not a game. Yeah. You're just you're just running a simulation for no particular reason, John Company. But who would play a game like that, John Company? I don't I have no idea, John Company. So second edition's coming out, so some people are excited about that. Yeah, supposedly it's good. I guess I, it, it has to be. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. It's got to be because yeah, I can't sit through that. I can't through, sit through another simulation game again. No. So. All right, so that's all the games that we got to the table. If you'd like to learn more about them, again, BoardGamersAnonymous.com is our great website where you can hit us up on all of the things in the world that you want to talk about, and especially our Patreon account. There's a whole bunch of episodes that you get to listen to as a Patreon backer. We thankfully are supported by some of the best people in the world, and it's because of them that we're able to put these episodes out each and every week. Thank you so much, all of our friends out there, for bringing us a new episode. All right, Anthony. So again, new episode, best episode, our friends episode, listeners, top 20 board games. What do you got for us? All right. So first things first, we got to go through how this came together. Um, We run a poll once a year, usually in November, and we ask everybody on the Facebook page to tell us their top 10 games. I mentioned this at the top of the episode. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what I do is that I go through then and I rank all of the responses. So if somebody says their number one game is Concordia, that game's going to get a lot more points in the rating when I build this list than if they say their number 10 game is Terraforming Mars, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but every game on that list, on all the lists, gets at least one point. Now, do you want to guess how many games ended up on the total list when we were said and done? Ooh, geez, that's got to be a lot of games. That's got to be, I'm going to guess, I don't know, two, three hundred. 735 unique games. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So we had over 700 games that got at least one point. That's crazy. And when I went through the number 10s out of the 175 or so responses we got from people, Mm -hmm. there were only maybe a dozen games that had more than one entry. Mm. Like when you get up towards the number one, there's a lot of like, doubling up right like a lot of people listed certain games as their number one or their number two or their number three but the number 10 it was a really wide spectrum of games sure um it was just astounding to me how many different games ended up on this list it's the most we've ever had by a lot fantastic the hobby's growing lots of games we did it (laughs) (laughs) um so the list this year um, Uh i will say we had Seven games fall off of the list. Wow. With that. So these were games that were on the list last year that are no longer on the list. Um, Barrage was number 20 last year. Oh, no longer on the list that. this year. <laughs> I know. We do, we do have some listeners who are going to be upset about that. <laughs> um, it did okay. It got a bunch of votes, but not enough to get on the list. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gaia Project fell off the list. Yeah. And it did not do okay, actually. It didn't get very many points at all. So. Gaia Project is like, it's it's one of those really interesting games where it's it's the better of the two games. Mm-hmm. And yet it's like, it's the unsung hero, or I don't even know what to say. Like, it's better, but it's just not the artwork, maybe? It's just, 
it does it never got the attention it deserved. Maybe if it came out first, maybe. Yeah. And the, I think part of it too is like Terramisca has gotten more support, right? It has three expansions and now a new version. Whereas Gaia it's Project, a, just the one game, and that's it, and an app. It, it's a better version of it. It's, yeah, it's yeah. just got to it's got to come down to theme and artwork. I think so. Yeah. People like fantasy more than sci-fi. And the know. artwork's beautiful on the game too. Yeah. 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 One of my it favorite games. Out, my top ten. So it did come out first too. So it's kind of true. <laughs> they're like, we made it better, and was like, now nah, we're fine. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. but it's better. And they're like, nah, we're good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know how you see you these things bother you? Like, yeah, but it's like when you complain about your favorite TV show, you really <laughs> love it still, but like also there's problems. There's problems. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, next up, the, this one I was really surprised by, but Seven Wonders Duel fell mm. off the list. Surprising, because it just had a new expansion, too, uh, and that's really weird. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that one fell off completely. Um, Teotihuacan fell off, mm. also had a new expansion in the last year. That's interesting, uh, too, and it just got reannounced for its like super deluxe version coming out next year. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, a Feast for Odin, no longer on the list. Aww. I know. Stupid, weird, polyomino food shape like weird <laughs> shapes that you stick on a board. Come on, people. Yeah, but here's the thing, man. <laughs> they rebuked both of us because the next oh, no. one off the list is Agricola. A pox upon a both of our houses, I guess. Yeah, huh? exactly. Yeah, there are no Uwe <laughs> Rosenberg games on this list this year. Wow. That, that, dude, that's crazy. I know. I, I, I was like, honestly surprised, but. I guess he hasn't had a lot of like big, big new games recently. So, mm. and it, it's not a pure hotness list, but a lot of the new games on it are of that ilk. And it's funny because when we did the Rosenberg, you know, tier list, that kind of blew up. Yeah. And everyone's like, nah, we're good. Yeah, we're good. <laughs> These games are very good. And both, good. Of them got, both of those games got plenty of votes, but sure. often towards the bottom of the top 10. Mm. So, like, A Feast for Odin, I think, was on. 20 something lists but a lot of them were like 10 and 9 sure and agricola was on a comparable number and they were yeah. like eights and sevens hmm. um and then the last one that fell off is pax Pamir second edition mm. which I can see that was only on the list for one year uh i think that was a hotness game pure you know through and through yeah it's a great game but it, again it's another one of those games that's like very smart and brilliant but it just doesn't it just doesn't stick around in the mind i think all right, so uh, that brings us to the list itself. Ooh, here we right. go. We have two games that just missed it by one point oh, in our scoring rough. system. Uh, Anachrony and Ticket to Ride were both off by one. <laughs> uh, and it, like below them, it was like another 10-point drop. So really, those two were the closest. That's funny. Yeah. Um, so moving on to number 20. Mm-hmm. This is the number 20 game, uh, Underwater Cities. I've heard of this game. Yeah, it was number 18 last year, so it dropped a little bit, but not a ton. Okay. Love it. Great game. One of my favorite games. I think it was my favorite top 100 game last year. It does so much of what Terraforming Mars does. Not everything, but so much of what it does, and it does it great. So, yeah. Right. Um, all right, number 19. It's new to the list, and it's surprising to me. It's This has to be based purely on the Kickstarter. Sure. Grand Austria Hotel. It's got to be because of the expansion. I mean, it's it's always been an okay game, but this is next level. I, I I guess the expansion really cleared up a lot of things for people. Yeah, yeah. And I went back and looked at the data from last year, and it was maybe on four or five lists. And Ooh. this year it was on a bunch. So some people really like that game. 
number 18, another new one to the list. Not a new game. This has been out for a while, but new to the list is Quacks of Quedlinburg. Oh, okay. Again, that's that's one. Of, I remember we played the prototype like so long ago, and it kind of continuously blew up because of its. I don't know. I guess initially it was Etsy, and then I think Board Game Geek had its like geek bits for mm. it, and it was always you know out of stock. And yet, when you bought the geek bits, they were like I, I think for a set of the bits that kind of make up the spots that go in the cauldron. It was about the same price as the game, and people bought them like crazy. Right. <laughs> it's a they really good do. game. They yeah. still do. They sell out so fast. It's it's a really good game. It's a really smart game. I think I definitely have one of the expansions. I don't know if I have the second one on that. Right. Yeah, and the big box came out recently, too. Hmm. Um, all right. Moving up the list, we have at number 17, Orleans. This was number 10 last year. It's been on our list every year we've done this, going back five years. So it, it is just a popular game. It's another solid game throughout. And I'm, I'm actually really surprised that this game is here because the days of its expansions are, I think, gone, right? The company is kind of folded up and it, it's kind of moved on. Uh, this is with this the base game here with the expansion buildings. I think you do need the expansion buildings for the game to be like outstanding. We played the heck out of this. And I think some of the other expansions like were good and bad kind of in between, but it really hasn't had any kind of revivals or anything else out there. So I'm surprised it's up here, but I'm glad I, I'm glad it is. It's, it's another solid game like Quacks and Grand Austria Hotel. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it'll just, I mean, it'll stay on the list as long as people can find it. Like you said, if it stays out of print, that might be a downer in the future. Yeah. It's a, it's another bag builder. So Orleans and Quacks, who knew? Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a couple themes highly represented on this list. Uh, all right, uh, next up at number 16, another new game to the list, Marvel Champions. Do you mean Marvel Snap? It's Marvel yeah, Snap, uh, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> if it is, people didn't follow the directions. So, uh, This is one of my favorite games of all time, and it just keeps going up because they, it keeps getting better. Um, the, the X-Men cycle of stuff has been coming out now, and... It's it's been really good. So uh, it's just a really fantastic game. It's very combat and uh, mechanic focused. Mm-hmm. And yeah, a lot of people dig it. Nice. Number 15, another new game on the list, Dune Imperium. Mm. This game blew up. And again, this was surprising because I love Dune and I, I'm surprised so many people got into it. I know that the Clank, you know, creators coming into this game was like, can they pull this off? This seems a little more like next level for them. And they did a, you know, obviously an exceptional job because this game has just not just blown up, but it's been sticking around for quite some time. And even the expansions, if you know anything about the whole Dune universe, are even kind of obscure and people are like devouring them. And I think this was even played at the board game championships. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, way to go. Yeah, no, I'm not surprised because it's in the top five on board game geek people mm-hmm. really dig it and i dig it too it's a good game um but i am a little surprised because like you said like the ip while mm-hmm. popular is it's not star wars no I mean, it's it's i mean obviously even the recent Simon kickstarter really just languished mm-hmm. and even with the new movie out i mean this i'm, I'm just i'm just 
surprised. I'm happy. I like I like I'm a big Dune fan, and I like the game. I like the game itself, but I'm still surprised. So right. And I think even Gale Force Nine had several Dune games before, after, and in between, and none of them hit like this. Right. Well, this one hit. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, next up, number 14 is a game I was surprised wasn't on our list the last couple of years. It's mm-hmm. my number two of all time. It's Root. Ooh. Yeah. Their third, and I mean, Leader said it would be their last expansion, but I doubt it. <laughs> every time they launch one of these on Kickstarter, it, it does gangbusters. Ah, the quest um, for more money. <laughs> yeah, the quest for more money, indeed. Uh, he had a joke on Twitter like last year saying, as long as I keep releasing these, I never have to make a big box. Ooh. And, <laughs> and I would love a big box, but also I would love more expansions. So either way, I'm happy. Yeah, you say you love a big box now, but then when it's yeah. re-released with like shiny, amazing pieces and it's like $300, you're going to be coming crying to the <laughs> on the podcast. You have a good point. And then I never play it again because I can't carry it anywhere. That's right. <laughs> it comes with 65 different woodland creatures with like 3D terrain. And you're like, oh my God, I got to buy that. Just like, <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll get to that one in a minute. <laughs> so it maybe it reminds me of why like the original big box board games that used to come out they used to call them coffin boxes. Yeah, because that's, that's where they're going. They're going with you. <laughs> <laughs> they never get into the table, but you're taking them with you. Yeah, yeah, your Viking boat on the water. You've got your <laughs> Twilight Imperium Bury. Second Edition like under your body. That's right. <laughs> Bury me with my big box edition. <laughs> Oh my gosh. All right. Uh, moving on. Number 13, Pandemic and all its many ilks. Mm-hmm. So I, I mention this every year. Some people give me grief about it, but I do bundle the different versions of Pandemic together. Sure. Because you get so many different versions people say they love. Um, generally, it's Legacy. Most of the votes come from Legacy, but there's a lot of base game Pandemic in here as well. But Pandemic as a system, as a core system, people love. Sure. Uh, number 12. Uh, last year was number nine is Viticulture, mm-hmm. the tried and true wine growing game from uh, Stonemeyer Games. It's it never really clicked for me, but I know this is like one of the most popular midweight Euro games around and has been for years. Yeah. And and I think strangely enough, this has been one of Stonemeyer's just like surprisingly solid hits that keeps banging away because they released multiple versions of it and you know small expansions to it and people eat it up i I think it's a good game i own it i own the essential edition i never i don't know if i ever picked up the little small edition like the little small expansions i don't think so just because i think we have so many other games that are similar to this but i don't know I, i think a lot of these games that we're talking about today anthony i think are interesting i think it's it you know it's something that we should analyze further because is it the weight? Is it that they're solidly a good game throughout? Is it that they, they end really well is it, there's just something about these games throughout the ones that we've talked about so far with a few exceptions that are just like a solid game, like throughout, like everyone, everyone appreciates it. Some everyone likes them. There's just something about their elements and mechanics that are just good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's just, I don't know what it is, you know, and a lot of these games kind of fall into that bucket. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Next up on the list, a little bit heavier. Uh, and this was our number two last year from the listeners. Now mm-hmm. it's number 11 is Brass Birmingham. Sure. 
which is and- in my top 10. I love Brass Birmingham. It's, I, I think it had a lot of hotness behind it. It's cooled a little bit in the last year or so. I've still seen it getting table time at game groups. And again, I'm, I'm, I've been surprised by that throughout because prior to its Kickstarter release, this game didn't see the light of day. So again, there's many reasons for that, but this, this new version obviously is still out there. Obviously they have so many different versions of this online that you could play as well. And I'm really glad to see it here. It's just solid game through and through. Yep. Uh, all right. Number 10 on the list. Concordia, which I I kept like looking over the list because I'm like, this wasn't on our list last year, but mm. apparently not. Maybe it was in the new uh, Steam version or iOS release when this kind of brought it back out to the mainstream because I've talked about this like endlessly. My game group has always played Concordia so much so that I've never bothered to buy it just because they always play it. So I'll buy it one day. <laughs> one day I'll buy it. But again, this is a knowledge, another solid straight Euro game trading in the Mediterranean that pretty much anyone can play and such interesting card mechanics. And again, it's it's second to none in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I love this game. Um, all right. You mentioned a giant box full of meeples <laughs> that you can't carry with you anywhere because it's the size of your car. Everdale is number nine. This is new yes. to the list this year. Jumped way up. Mm-hmm. always been popular but i think that kickstarter definitely pushed it over the top yeah i think that's the thing that people liked about the game so much i mean it's a solid game but it was never more than just being kind of a solid game with a you know some just cutesy elements to it and they're like i, I think that the tree kind of let starling games know that like this is the way to go not to mention all the etsy people who produce endless numbers of diff- different kind of pieces to it that you could like upgrade your game. And they were like, you know what? We should start making all the money. And they just released and it's gigantic and it's great. It's great that so many people are enjoying that game. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, all right. Number eight is a game that will not leave our list. <laughs> not if we want it to, it just won't. It was number three last year, number eight this year. That's Gloomhaven. Sure. I'm still playing it. <laughs> I don't know how that's possible. Right. I've stopped playing it, but in my head, I'm somehow still playing it. So, yeah, Gloomhaven, again, is the Kickstarter miracle game that does not stop. I mean, Frosthaven may stop it, I guess, unless we combine them next year, because they're primarily similar games almost right down the line. But, yeah, I I guess in a lot of ways, weirdly enough, I played Gloomhaven more times than I've played most of my favorite board games. I know. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, all right. Number seven is an interesting game on our list because it was almost exclusively number one for the people who picked it. Mm. There was 12 different people said this was their number one game, by far the most of any game. Sure. Number wow. one. Uh, and then that was almost it. Spirit Island. It was number four last year. It's number seven this year because we got a lot more votes this year. But yeah, it, a lot of people really love this game. Top of their list. It's something interesting about co-op games. If if it hits, it hits well. Yeah. And I think Spirit Island is the new pandemic as far as the mechanics are concerned. So we might eventually see the Spirit Island mechanic take off into other games. And obviously they had their big box release, you know, at Target. So I, I'm, I'm imagining that this game's only going to go higher. I think they had a recent crowdfunding, which was 
not so great as far as how they ran the campaign, but it's more Spirit Island stuff. And again, anytime you play a game, anytime you play a game or you collect a game that has all different, you know, special character abilities that you can play and swap in and swap out. And again, endless numbers of combinations when you play with a group. Yeah, this is this is going to be big. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, number six, and this was also number six last year, so it did not move. <laughs> Lost Ruins of Arnak, which uh, it jumped way up on my list. I think we did our top 100 two years ago, mm-hmm. like a week or two after I reviewed this. Sure. And it was number 18 on my list, like immediately. Yeah, and makes sense. We're doing our top 100 again here in a couple of weeks, and it's still up there. I don't know exactly well, where yet. I haven't finalized my numbers, but it's still in the top 20, 30. Um, just an amazing game all around. And the expansion just makes it better. Yeah, I played a ton of this on Board Game Arena. I never thought I would. Right. And then I was just like, yeah, this this is this is fine and fun to play on there. I really like the expansion. It's not on Board Game Arena, but I really like the expansion. I honestly could use a new expansion for you mm. know, with more characters. Yeah, that'd be cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, number five, this was number seven last year. It moved up probably Ooh. because of the ex- uh, Kickstarter or what was it? GameFound? Yeah, who would be crazy to back that? Come on, man. Uh, yeah, no, nobody's that crazy. <laughs> who has that kind of money to spend on a game they already own two copies of? Uh, that's me. Castles of Burgundy, number five. Woo, that's what I did. Yeah, so this is uh, it's coming out next year, the, the updated version. But mm-hmm. it's a classic. It's Stefan Feld. It's his best game, like, from a popular perspective. It's um, funny, too, considering all of the other games that he recently rebooted and Castles of Burgundy is still the game, right? Yeah. With all of his games out there, Castles of Burgundy is, is still the game. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, which is mm-hmm. not surprising. It's the most accessible by a long shot. Sure. Uh, number four was number eight last year. It has moved up. Wingspan. Oh. <laughs> Wingspan is moving up. Yeah, Wingspan recently, I, I guess it was its nesting box, which kind of right. sold out immediately. And then it had its recent expansion that was out there as well. So... I'm not terribly surprised by this. I, I I mean, just over the years, Anthony, watching this game coming out and then hitting the market and then all of the bird watching fans just kind of jumping out of nowhere in this game, you know, selling for insane amounts of money. And the community is just is super committed. I own most of this. I haven't picked up. I think I have two of the expansions and I have the base game, of course. And then I guess the, the new stuff I currently don't have. But again, it's another one of those kind of like immensely satisfying collector's games because you just get to see more birds. And again, it's somewhat accessible as far as building those combos together because it's so much like luck driven based on like what you get in your hand or what's available in the deck and what combos you get. And the expansions have, I think, watered down some of those killer kind of combos. So that's mm-hmm. nice to see as well. Yeah, yeah, makes it flattens the game a little bit. Yeah, even on board game arena, when you play Wingspan, it allows you to like not use those cards, which is just yeah, like it's good because <laughs> I played against people and I'm like, I have a full board. I did. I I won every you know every challenge. I did. I have eggs everywhere, and then someone else is like, Yeah, I had this two card combo that every time I did a thing, it let me tuck a card or double tuck a card or triple tuck a card. So I have like a stack of cards, like just like. <laughs> played a good game like yeah yeah good good job guy yeah, good yeah, job you tried you i had those two cards <laughs> it's fantastic yeah uh all right so that's number four number three 
is a game that was number five last year. It has moved up. This has been in our Jeez. top five every year we've done this. That's, That's crazy. Scythe. I love Scythe. I mean, Scythe, I think, I don't know if it might hit my number two at some point. And again, the, and I can't say this enough, and we've never spoiled a game. And I, I think this is a good, just take a second for a conversation. Like if a movie or a TV show has been out for 20 or some odd years or even 10 some odd or even like a year you'll talk about it i we don't give away spoilers because people will discover games over time it's not should not be given away so we've never given away secrets but if you're going to play scythe i highly highly recommend picking up the fenris expansion because not just not really for the not really for the campaign mode so much but the parts that are in that box add so much to the game that it really makes it a better game. So I'm glad you're all enjoying it as much as I have. Yeah. <laughs> and I have not played this game in five years. I got to get oh, back to it. We'll have to play it. Yeah. Um, all right. And then, so here's the thing, right? Like <laughs> number three through like 11 are separated by like 30-ish points in my wow. scoring, my made-up scoring system. And then number 12 through 20 are separated by like 11 points in our scoring system. So the games are generally close, right? There's different tiers here, but they're close. Numbers one and two are like 50 points beyond number three, like just way up there. And so I imagine you can all guess what they are. Maybe not. But what I find interesting is that of the top four games, three of them have a fairly similar mechanic. People really like this mechanic. Um, So number two with this mechanic again, going back to Wingspan, also Underwater Cities to some degree, mm-hmm. Arc Nova. Mm. Not terribly surprising. This game has been all the talk. This game has been purchased by anybody. Thankfully, it's been on sale a couple of times, so I think a lot of people were able to pick it up. And it's had a mini expansion, which you thought would be like the second coming because everyone was thrilled about this little mini expansion. And again, it's a pretty, it's a pretty solid game. There's just nothing bad to say about the game other than it's kind of been done a little bit. So if it came out a little earlier, it probably would be the number one game of all time. But I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, same. Right. And I think the poll kind of shows that if it had come out earlier, it would be the number one game. And our number one game would be the number two game. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Uh, Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to say. I mean. Here, here's the thing. And we could talk about both these together. Like, we'll jump to number one. It's Terraforming Mars. Terraforming Mars! Woo! It was last year as well. Uh, <laughs> and so I was surprised because when I started tallying these up, I was like, the number ones, you know, Spirit Island was far and away. And then Ark Nova had the second most number ones, followed by Terraforming Mars. I'm like, oh, maybe it's going to be a new game this year. And then I got down to like the sixes, the fives, the sevens, the eights. And I was like, oh, there's a lot of Terraforming Mars in here. <laughs> like, uh it, it was on like 30 percent of lists like mm. everybody has it on there it's somewhere so we got a lot of points um and yeah it's again not the first game that did this but i think it's the first one that did it in the way that we are now accustomed to sure like the you know the, the large deck of cards the sprawling tableau the mm-hmm. kind of central space that you're competing for um it it did it first. It still has the best solo mode of any of those games, mm-hmm. uh, in my opinion, above Arc Nova, Wingspan, and even Underwater Cities. I like Terraforming Mars, the solo version better. But it is also the messiest of the four, I think. <laughs> even with the stuff you mentioned with Wingspan, Terraforming sure. Mars is a messy game, especially sure. when you throw in all the expansions. Oof. So it's interesting that it's still number one. I love it, but it's interesting that it's still up there. 
Yeah, I love it too. And and I think there are very few games. I can only think of one game off the top of my head that had as many expansions. Mm. And I think that's a testament to the game, the love from the fan community and just the quality of, of the base game that they put together here. I mean, some of the expansions definitely don't hit and other expansions are essential like Prelude. Right. So yeah, and Terraforming, you know, Mars, the Ares Expedition is, I love that game too. I think they do a great job throughout and the dice game is coming out eventually too. Right. So yeah, people are still rolling with this game. And as you mentioned, there is something interesting and dynamic about it. Again, I think if they would have just done a couple of things really early on in the original base game, this would have hit hit Board Game Geek's top 100 and knocked out Gloomhaven just because it was just that good of a game consistently throughout. And nonetheless, now they've caught up with, you know, so much more of the expansions and the upgraded pieces and everything else you could do with it. And as you mentioned, there's a lot of paths to victory. I mean, it's not just like, do you build a tableau or do you terraform Mars? You're going to be doing both in some in some semblance. And I think I talked about this earlier when we talked about Sky Mines. There's just something in brilliantly intuitive about the thematic integration there because you're like, oh, of course, you know, these, you know, I can't just drop animals on a frozen planet. Right. Yeah. It takes a little, it takes a little, you know, warming up. It takes an ocean here and there. And, you know, it it, it follows really follows very smartly without just hitting you over the head with it. So it's just it does so much of the thematic gameplay so well that, you know, again, there can be some problems with, you know, the spread of cards and just, you know, people terraforming the planet in time and how long the game takes. But throughout and throughout, up and down, every every which, which way you learn, again, based upon the expansions you put in, the game is just exceptional. And again, it's one of those games where if you're at a game night or you're at a friend's house and you're not sure what to play, Terraforming Mars is always a good choice because it's it fits the group generally and you get a solid gameplay session in regardless. It's never like, oh, let's play like, I don't know, Lords of Waterdeep, which is a good game. And you're like, oh, yeah, we played that. And it was like, meh, it's leaves you wanting. But you play a Terraforming Mars game and you, and you feel fed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's a filling game. I like that. It's a very filling game. And again, thank you all for hitting us up and let us know so that we can build a fantastic listeners top 20. Special shout out to our friend Fed, who was able to, you know, pump this information out to more and more people out there so we get more and more great games to the table. Again, share your list with others. Put together this like definitive top 10 list for yourself. So during the holiday season, other people might, you know, get a hint of what you might like to pick up or what games to get to the table. It's handy. You don't need a top 100. Trust me, you don't need a top 100. But a top 10 comes in very, very good. All right, everyone. So that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. Hey, this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a seat at the table. Take care, everyone. Bye. See ya.